Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Good morning, Stacey. How are you? Good morning, John. I'm doing well, holding down in North Carolina, waiting to see if Irma, I think is what they're calling the the next hurricane, will be coming up the coast towards us um, and and watching all of the heroic things going on in Houston in the last week. So it's been a, quite a week this week, but I'm home safe and dry for the moment. We'll cross our fingers it stays that way. <laughs> you know, you know, I've been watching the weather reports, and I've noticed something pretty interesting. Uh, um, as they forecast the hurricane, the really good weather people are starting to sound like data scientists. It's fascinating. Yep. Now, have you seen the, sp- the spaghetti model stuff? I have I have our our WRAL weather forecaster right here in North Carolina has been using the little spaghetti chart and he says and the spaghetti lines and I'm like and that's exactly what he calls it. <laughs> but he shows so, various compilations, yeah. <laughs> so so here's the thing, that's what you do when you live in a world where there's no single source of truth is you yeah, present yeah. a spaghetti model. And so so I think that people should be paying attention to to what's going on in weather forecasting because it's going to be how we think about compensation data, how we think about skills data, how we think about various assessments of people, right? The, the, mm-hmm. the, the interesting thing that I'm learning in uh, my research into the various emerging machine-assisted decision-making tools out there is that none of them ever really claim to be right. So you're going to get this amazing set of skews. Like, you know, when you look at the spaghetti forecast for Irma, some of the forecasts show it hitting Mexico City and some of it showing it hitting Amsterdam, but the bulk goes kind of up the middle. Um, and and then, then the further out in time you get, the more varied the strands of spaghetti are. That's how we're going to have to think about data in general. And that's a brand new way of thinking about data in general. And we're going to have to start thinking about it in areas where we didn't know that's what we were doing. But when it comes to you working in your company, um, the, the machine assessment of your potential and your next likely move is only going to be 80 or 85% accurate. And so the thought that you wouldn't have multiple sources of input there is going to be so foreign five years from now that everybody will wonder how we ever lived with a single data point. Yeah, a single point of of information. Well, and and I think that it's an interesting perspective on it. The idea of forecasting, right, is obviously the world of the weather environments, right? Um, But forecasting has also been a big, you know, sort of, uh, approach in any kind of retail environment as well. But I know one of the things about, you know, forecasting a retail environment is, is eventually we used to say you have to pick a lane. You have to pick an amount you're going to buy or pick an amount you're going to say is going is going to hit, at least within a variation of ranges, um, to be able to make your buy, to make your bid, those kind of things. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing on the human spectrum, right? Um, in the weather forecasting, you know, they're going to kind of say, well, it could go in these four or five different directions, but, you know, nobody's coming back and saying that there's a financial number that they're holding that weather person accountable to for that, right? Um, And that, I think, is going to be interesting on the human side. When we're looking at things like jobs and skills and capabilities, 
will someone come back to HR and say, I'm holding you financially accountable for your forecast? Or Absolutely. Will it always be Every single day of the week, people are going to be doing that. So, mm-hmm. so you build the compensation um, um, arrangement for the company, and there are 30 possible models. I, I, I give you the list. There are th- currently 30 possible models of what compensation should be. And you pick some subset of them, and you pick a number. If I'm a high performer, I'm going to go out and find the number that beats your number, and I'm going to bring it to you, and you're going to have to justify it to me. So, yeah. so the place, the first place where human resources gets held accountable, is by employees, and and you know this isn't anything new. It's just that it's going to get more aggressive, and the data is going to get more accessible to the everyday man as well, right? You know, or everyday woman. Right. The, the um, data gets the data gets more accessible, and it becomes HR's job to figure out how to explain the difference between the spaghetti model and my outlier assessment that says I'm worth fifty percent more than you're paying me. Exactly. Yeah. Well, we got a couple of interesting articles this week and uh, topics I think that are worth talking about. One, you know, that have to do with this, which is sort of the idea of the connection between brand and employee perception and how that actual number is changing. And I think that gets into a little bit of what you're talking about, which is, you know, is my perception of what I'm worth also tied to things like the company's brand and how much that brand wants someone who is seen as a high performer associated with it, you know, those kind of things. Um, There's also, I think, some interesting um, conversations going on about pay transparency right now because there was a recent um, sort of rollback of some of the Obama-era regulations around um, payment transparency, particularly for private organizations and large organizations uh, for gender and for race issues. Um, So we're going to be talking about this, I think, idea of forecasting compensation, forecasting roles and jobs, and even in some cases forecasting the importance of an employee in a company based on the brand. Um, As you said, the next five years, it's going to be pretty common to see a lot of different versions of how people think about this, right? Well, and if you think about in recruiting in particular, there are these extraordinary tools being developed that that sift through resumes and make assessments based on the potential of the person to fill the job. If that isn't a forecast with financial consequence, I don't know what it is. The financial forecast, I think, is the biggest area on this, is how much will people be held accountable to these it will become the numbers thing that we'll be watching. That's right. That's right. It's going to be it's going to be a very interesting time. I think the ground is shifting fairly rapidly and that's part of what's in the news today. Yep. So so what's in the mailbag? Well, we got a lot of um of what I'd say is sort of the kind of as you said the ground is shifting. I would say these are rumbling. You know, we're seeing little things happening in the market that I think will have big impacts down the road. Um one is is an interesting uh, commentary on what's growing and changing and what I would consider the business process outsourcing space. So one source virtual, um, which is one of the, the sort of uh, one of the few business process outsourcing organizations that has been able to show continuous growth and profit in what they're doing. Um, now they are a workday organization, so they only do business process outsourcing using the workday tool. They're specifically tied to workday. Um, but they are an organization that started out in 2008 and um, have shown 
continuous growth in a space where people felt there was not a lot of growth left. Um, and they're um, assigning a new or have uh, appointed a new chief executive officer, uh, Trey Campbell, to replace um, Brian Williams, who was the uh, is now going to be the executive chairman of the board of directors. Um, that's, I think, is an interesting conversation. We can talk a little bit about that. Um, we also have, though, um, that Intello also is sort of continuing to sort of ramp up their space with uh, Chris Grimes, who came from uh, some other organizations that many people might know, as, and he's now head of recruitment, marketing, and agency relations. We also have some updated information on what's happening with the uh, DACA or the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program and how that might impact you as an HR function um, and maybe even, you know, what does that say about what you're keeping and tracking in your HR technology. Um, so a little bit of, you know, insight or maybe just more discussion on that today. Um, Estee Lauder had an interesting um, lawsuit this uh, last week against them over a parental leave policy. Um, and a, sort of a surprising twist on that. So, um, again, this idea of transparency and knowing what people are expecting and who gets you know, held um, sort of a, accountable for at the end of the day for what HR decisions are. Um, and then there's some interesting data coming out of the Edelman's Trust Barometer. This has been around for about 16 years. If you follow it, um, you know, I've seen it on and off again, but it's basically a, a, a tool that sort of tracks the trust of certain organizations by consumers, and they've sort of compared that to employee trust to see if there's some connection between that, and I thought that was sort of interesting. Um, so a lot of stuff in the news today, but the one of the probably most interesting is the OneSource virtual appointments right now. Uh, now, John, you've had an opportunity to talk to OneSource virtual once in a while. I know we've talked a lot about them on the show here. Um, they are an outsourcer who has sort of defied the odds in some cases, particularly in the space of HR and payroll and core administration, things that people oftentimes feel are a little bit more difficult to sort of get the margins out of from an HR perspective. But part of how they've done that is through the fact they're using a single system, um, Workday, and every one of their clients is sourcing through that. Originally, we're just doing very small businesses, and they sort of grew into what I would consider mid-market businesses. They've expanded now to international operations. they got offices in Ireland. Uh, do you think that what we're seeing here, and I would assume you know, we'll continue to see, is that as they need to grow and change, they have to bring in someone who's got a lot more experience in these larger business process outsourcing. Um, Trey Campbell has experience with Aon Hewitt, Accenture, Northgate Renzo, much larger operations than um, OneSource has had previously. So, you know, they've been grooming Trey for, for a year. He's, he's been the president and chief operating officer for about a year. And um, his... His expertise is exactly right for the company. What, what OneSource Virtual is doing, I think, is um, as companies like Workday and SAP, Oracle, IBM, the, the Ultimate, um, Cornerstone, even ADP, Ceridian, that, the, that top tier of platform company increasingly looks like an operating system. Yeah. And so and so you end up creating operations like OSV who are they do implementation um like an old implementation company used to do, but they also build software. Right? And so so what a customer has to do, if you're a workday customer, it's a very, very configurable system that allows you to do things that you can't even imagine. 
And and part of one source virtual's magic is that they help people imagine. Yeah. And then they and then they help people build. Um, and um, that that's what that's what the on-prem model used to be like for companies like Oracle and SAP, but in the cloud, you're held to revenue models that don't allow you to do that. And so, so it's, it's really Wall Street accounting that drives um, the emergence of companies like OSV. And because, because Workday is so far ahead of everybody else in the platform development stuff, um, you see something like this pop up in their ecosystem. Well, and I think it's worth noting that, you know, OSV started out in 2008, and I think to your point that part of what OSV has done that's different is that they have sort of built on top of or they've built around the Workday, right, with technology that continues to, to make it a lot easier to do this sort of outsourcing model, right? And like you said, it's 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 a it's sort of a, a piece that oftentimes would have sat within the technology environment. Um, but we saw for many years very large organizations try to outsource IBM, Accenture, uh, huge HRO outsourcing you know, uh, programs that just never quite made it off the ground, never got the same margins and numbers and lots of frustration compared to what we saw during sort of the finance and IT outsourcing eras, right? Um, I, and, and in 2008 is when I was doing a big report on this um, for another organization I was working with about 2009, 2010. And that time, I could remember sitting in a room with a group of organizations who were literally screaming at a panel of outsourcing leaders on a, ta- on, on a, on a you know, platform about how horrible the outsourcing process was for these large organizations who were in the room. It, it was quite an experience for someone who was sitting there were taking notes going, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. Everybody hates them, right? Um, and then at the same time, you saw someone like OSV coming out. Um, and I think that sort of gives you a sense that um, this was a space ripe for change. Um, now, whether or not OSV has a model that can scale to very large organizations, I think, is the other question, because as you said, they help organizations configure and think about it. Well, that's a little bit easier when you've got a mid-market or a small organization, but when you've got a very large organization, is that the same? Can you do that? And I think they're trying to, to see if that's the case, particularly with who they're bringing in here and the president and the CEO, as you said. Yeah, yeah. well, well um, you know, I've, I've been to been – to- in time with OSV a couple of times over the last last three or four years, and and if anybody can pull this off, they can. They seem more like a technical company than than anything I've ever seen before. And if you think about Workday, Workday it has a very very different view of how the world works. And so so when I would go to an analyst day at um, uh, OSV the workday rep was there right and it and it really was it really was a channel story with the workday people being in on and supporting the channel story rather than it being some independent entity that isn't at all plugged in and and that level of quality control is part of what differentiates workday well, and, and in this space of sort of, you know, tech company versus sort of process outsourcing and, you know, that merging of those two worlds, another organization that sort of had started out, I think, in more of the sort of 
understanding sort of the processes and scraping data off of the internet, those type of things, right? And if turn that into a, a bigger technology play is Intello. Um, one of the things that uh, Atello announced was an appointment of Chris Grimes. Some of us might know him. Uh, Chris Grimes came from um, other organizations that are sort of well-known in the uh, technology space, iSIMS as well as where he was an enterprise account executive before and also um, Jibe um, a while back. But I was more interested in the fact that we're hearing more from Intello, particularly recently since they just um, had – um, an investment um, at just June of this year of about $20 million um, focusing on artificial intelligence, right? Um, in the recruiting space, you know, a space where we've seen that sort of, you know, swing between outsourcing and then, you know, sort of bringing it back to a technology play, to an outsourcing play, to a technology play, uh, where does Intello fit in this market? Your perspective is that it's sort of on the edges, right? Still, it's, it's not huge yet. Well, well. So Intello is a sourcing company. It, it, it's it's a um, uh, it's a mistake to to categorize it as something larger than than a sourcing company. And it's a it's a smart sourcing company. They've been in business a long time. Um, um, what they do is scrape social media in order to create profiles of people that they then match to jobs in the same way that you do with the resume database. So, that, so they are in the business of, of creating um, profiles and then allowing you to search through those profiles to find people to work for your company. And, um, you know, talent bin, made a business like that and got sold to monster. There've been a couple of others that, that have come and gone over the years. Um, and it's, <clears throat> and it's interesting to see what they're doing. I think that, that with Chris Grimes coming, um, to head the agency relations business, what they're starting to realize <clears throat> is that they're in a channel business. Again, and that they have to aggressively focus on and manage their channels. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the you know part of the the next conversation, and we'll see a lot of this coming out of HR Tech. Is you know a lot of these pure point plays or individual areas, right? We're going to see a lot of channel focus, right? Which direction do I sell through? How do I sell what I'm doing? Am I part of the bigger enterprise platform? Um, we've seen this cycle, you know, in the HR tech space for a couple of years, right? You go back and forth between the fact that they can sell directly to organizations or they want to sell through someone else, right? Um, it seems to me that we're, you know, in a cycle now where selling through channels seems to be the easier and better play than trying to sell directly because the market is just so noisy right now, right? And there's so much going on. Well, the, the, the problem always is it always looks easier to have somebody else sell your stuff because selling is hard. <laughs> and, and it's, it's very unusual to see successful channel sales efforts actually blossom. Um, I, 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 I'm hard pressed to come up with an example of a channel sales endeavor that's actually, actually succeeded in our space. Can you think of any? Well, I, I think there's been some some that have succeeded for a while, and I think it's the short term versus the long term look, right? You look at Cornerstone on oh, Demand and that's, that's and Workday, 
yeah, Cornerstone on Demand and Workday, that was a very successful relationship for two years. It, you know, surged SO, uh, CSOD's um, growth on a pretty high level, almost double digit, uh, when no one else in the learning space and the other spaces were growing at that space, right? Um, workforce software, um, with their relationship with SAP and SuccessFactors, again, increased rapidly their growth for a year or two. Uh, and it's still, I think, doing some of that right right now until um, uh, there's some more aggressive plans at SAP and SuccessFactors to do anything with um, workforce management. So I think it just depends on who that channel and partner is and at what point do they decide to cut you out of the business, right? Because that's what always happens to some extent. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Good Good, good perspective. So, okay, time for DACA. Oh, politics. And we're going to try not to get into politics on this, but, but you know, we think it's a, it's, there's no doubt that there are things that are happening on the, I guess I would say the political front, or at least on the, on the executive level front, that is having an impact on the everyday life of HR, and particularly on HR who are sort of accessing data from a technology perspective. So one of the things that obviously came out this week was the rescinding of the um, Deferred Action for Childhood um, Arrivals Program, or DACA, as you might have heard it called, which or the Dreamers Act, depending on what you looked at, which was an executive order put in by Obama uh, in 2012 that granted temporary status and work permits to the Dreamers, who were children who were brought here by their parents um, and did not have legal status. Um, what I think is, you know, a lot of people sort of look at this as sort of a political yes or no or a political ball that's being thrown around. There's obviously over 800,000 people whose lives are sort of in this mix and are going to be affected by this. But this also is going to affect many of the organizations and companies we work with. Um, the highest number that I've seen, I'm not sure if this is true or not, there's no sort of supporting fact for this, but there is some data that is just sort of stating about 75% of large companies in America have someone who is identified as a DACA employee. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that on average, the, the, the FWD.us, which is a group which was started by several large tech companies to sort of in 2012 to sort of address what's happening with the immigrant status um, environment and workers particularly, right? Um, and what that group found is that basically they feel that, you know, if this is rescinded and we've got about six months to, to figure out what to do without any um, ongoing changes from Congress or the House of Representatives as a, as a more stable law is put in place, then basically we're going to have about 30,000 um, employees a month who will lose their work permits um, that will basically expire as the DACA uh, um, goes out of place month by month. So these, this is going to have a huge impact, particularly on large organizations that have hired um, a lot of employees um, who fall underneath this category. Do you think this is going to have a, an impact on sort of the HR tech space at all? I mean, not just this, I guess, particular, you know, sort of, um, act itself, but the fact that sort of tracking things like DACA, where does that get tracked? You know, who's held responsible for that? You know, when you have an employee who falls under this category, you know, how do you identify them? Those kind of things seem to be a technology conversation. So I am so ignorant. You, you know, I, I know a few people who have, who are in this circumstance and, and it's difficult for them to to find employment college loans are not available to them generally because because they don't have proof of citizenship 
And so my guess is that my guess is that um, um, good HR systems could identify it. It, it was it, so Microsoft was able to in a couple of days tell the world that there were 37 people who worked for them in this category. And um, Apple was able to tell the world that 250 people were in this category. So the, so the data's in there somewhere. But, but I think what's happening, I think what's happening is the categories of, mm, I, I don't know what to call it, but citizenship status are changing. Um, and, and it's, it's something that's in process rather than fixed. And we've been doing, dealing with a lot of fixed categories for a lot of years. I don't know what you do when, when the rules change rapidly. Yeah. I don't know what you do. Um, and, and, and I don't as, know about technology that allows you to get there. I, uh, it's a really, really interesting question. Yeah. And and I think the, 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 the organizations that are gonna be you know probably hit the hardest on this will be mid market and small organizations. You know, it's it's interesting. Microsoft committed that their they would vigorously defend is what they said, the legal rights of the thirty nine known dreamers who they've employed in their organization and um, Tim Cook of Apple already has said that they will basically provide legal aid to any of their two hundred fifty dreamer employees. Um so those large organizations are going to sort of take the stance that they're going to use their legal staff to sort of keep these people working. I've heard other organizations that have said, you know, quietly, if someone gets sent to a different location, we'll keep you on the payroll. You'll just work virtually. So there's some of that sort of stuff going on. Um, but every company is going to have to sort of address this at a sort of what's happening today and a holding pattern for whether or not Congress will put together something that will keep the dreamers within, you know, the the borders, or if they should start to look at, you know, their options afterwards, right? And then what legal rights do the employees have? You know, are they, um, you know, are they, do they have the same rights about sort of notice and those type of things for their roles? It's a very sticky situation and, and a heart-rending situation for many people, right? If you're trying to do the right thing, but your company doesn't have the same resources as Apple or a Microsoft to help someone, Right. Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. So we're gonna we'll probably hear a lot more about this over the next couple of months, but something to keep an eye on. But you know, as I always like to look at, you know, a lot of these things, you know, politics aside, they have an impact on the HR community and the technology community. So another area that we see um a lot of a huge amount of impact that, that came down was the um uh the uh, mandate in Obama era role that required large companies to share data with the government about how they pay employees by race and gender, particularly for private companies. The, you know, public companies end up having to do a lot of this anyways, right? But private companies particularly, this was a big deal for them to have to sort of share information that they normally wouldn't have to. And um, they recently rescinded that requirement, and so they do not have to do that. Um, and what's interesting is that we're seeing is that there's sort of a backlash about this. One, many organizations already moved forward to doing this, particularly those who are public, their shareholders and local governments are already sort of requesting this information. But we're also seeing that employees themselves are saying, look, I expect to see this information. If I don't get it from you, I'm going to get it from Glassdoor, from Payscale, from some other people on pay transparency in the organization. This is a big topic that I think we're going to hear a lot more about, you know, 
the a lot of people feel the cat's out of the bag. You're not going to whether the government's requiring this or not. People are going to have to share this. Do you think that's the case, or is that is transparency sort of now an expectation of employees as they come into organizations? What I think we're seeing is that the the movement of technology is underneath some of the things that have been labeled as political. Right, right. and so so um, there there's this regulatory requirement that employers show blah 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 blah. What's more important is that employees want that. And and in fact, sort of demand it, and 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 it is it is something like um, technology-enabled right to know, a technology-enabled right to know that that you could try to legislate, and 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 if you are good, maybe you can make it happen that way, but it's going to become a de facto standard nonetheless. Right. So 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 employers who think that they're not going to have to report transparently about how their pay impacts their people. We're back to the spaghetti models that we started with in the beginning of the show. Um, the, 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 the truth is that that it's the Internet era and people have access to facts. And when people have access to facts and you pretend that they don't, you suffer, not them. Well, and I think particularly for um, this topic when it comes to both gender, race, and protected classes of any sort, what you're going to find is that we're going to see more sort of nonprofit studies as well. And, you know, as sort of the government sort of goes back and forth as to its regulations and requirements, we're going to see this data come out in different ways, whether that's through organizations like a Payscale or Glassdoor.com or those kind of things, or through other studies that are being done by organizations that have a vested interest in sort of making this aware. Uh, I think the, the, the idea that not only are they asking about it from an employee perspective, but there are groups and functions and organizations that will make it available. So it, it isn't like it's something that they can only get from you. And I think that's the other side of this picture, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I think we've started to articulate a, uh, a set of stories that we're going to be following for a long time. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, I think, you know, regulations, how they're impacting HR and technology is a big topic that, that will probably go all the way through this year. Um, but we're also, as we get into what we call HR tech season, we will start to hear a lot more about what companies are planning to do over the next couple of months. So yeah, It's going to rain product announcements for the next 90 yep. days, I think. Great. Well, another fantastic show, Stacey. Thank you for turning up and doing this. I I, I love our conversations. Yeah, definitely. It's been it's been fun. And hopefully I will next Thursday be here on the air. We'll cross our fingers, depending on where I am supposed to be at. I was supposed to be in Florida on Thursday. I don't know if that's gonna happen or not right now, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, everybody else is leaving Florida. You might I take know. a hit and go that way. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So, so I will be calling from somewhere next Thursday. So. <laughs> okay. Well, well, thanks again. And thanks everybody for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Um, it's been a treat to have you on board this week. Thanks everyone. Have a good week. Bye-bye now. 